We are on page nine or eight or whatever particular page you have. I took them out. There's another extra one here. Okay. Fine. Where is everybody? My like, I don't know. My sense, my sense of my sense of ego satisfaction and having a large audience is being depleted. That's okay, Rabbi. We can replenish it. People left between yesterday and today. I expect to have thousands of people in my class. It's okay. They listen to you online, Rabbi. As it turns out. Okay. Game. Maybe. You never know. Depends. We have we have a few things to cover before the game, and you know if we cover them all today. Is the game on this page? Oh the God. game is once we turn the page. Okay. So it's like we get the excitement of turning the page, and then after that, we get to play game. That's right. That's really satisfying. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm like God. I believe in providing like deep satisfaction at what seems to be arbitrary intervals in very intense places, and then having most of life be monotonous. Mm. No, I'm kidding. I was going to say, actually, that's super supported by all parenting philosophies about, like, encouraging behavior. You're supposed to provide random, random interval reinforcement if you want to reinforce behavior. So that actually... Totally if you're healthy, are... Do you like about to turn the page? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because in this healthy, this will follow this. No, no, we read this no, way that was, this way. Yeah, that was we a huge phone yeah. Hello, my name is Juliana. I'm 24, and I've never... Okay, we're on whatever page this is. <laughs> Okay, fine. Now, we are on the line that says Chabad. So Chabad is an acronym for Chachma, Bina, and Das. Chachma, Bina, and Das are the three faculties that are part of Seichel. Seichel is the faculty that we come to be aware of immaterial reality as it actually is. Okay, and true seichel only exists in the godly soul. So seichel and then under seichel. Three, right, right. Okay. okay. So it says like this: Chabad are called the mothers, and the source of the midos. Remember, the midos are the intellectual families. Me, right? How how does something relate to me? How do I feel about it? Which structures my relationships, my interactions with reality outside myself. And for the godly soul, the Midas are love of Hashem, fear and dread of Hashem, the glorification of Hashem, and then so on, the offshoots of that that Dalton doesn't want to get into here. Totaling seven. So why is Chabad called the mothers? What does the text say? For the latter are offspring of the former. I don't know. For the latter are offspring of the former. Okay. There's a rule about Tanya. The Alter hates writing words. Hmm? He hates it. I don't actually know if he emotionally hates it, but if he can get w- w- away with writing one word, he will not write mm-hmm. two words. That's how precisely he writes Tanya. Okay? The Alter literally spent six weeks deciding whether he should add a vav between two words so there should be an and connecting them, or the idea is clear if there is no and there. Six weeks. Reflecting on if, what, how to write like, the time. Did he write other things in the meantime, or did he just sit there? I mean, he davened and he learned to give classes, but like when his his like whatever amount of time he wrote okay. to, to to Tanya, 
there was six weeks of reflecting on the issue. Is, and I remember correctly, even know which Vav it is, but I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head. Is the, are these two ideas distinct enough that they should not have an and connecting them, or, or they should be viewed as some part of larger whole, and they warrant the word and in between, which in Hebrew is just letter Vav. And so he spent six weeks reflecting on that issue before making a decision. He put the Vav, if I remember correctly. Um, yes, they did not have ballpoint pens in the 1700s. They didn't. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yes. Okay. So in that sense, now, the one thing to know about any person you're reading is different people have different styles, and sometimes in different works, the Alter of a style and time is very precise. Now, so what's problematic here? He says that Chabad are called the mothers and the source of the Midos, for the latter are the offspring of the former. And in Hebrew, and I apologize, but we're going to do the Hebrew because our translator decided to smooth out the wording. In the Hebrew, it's even more um, interesting. <coughs> so I'm going to give you a little translation. It says, Chabad are called the mothers and the source of the Midos because the Midos are the offspring of Chabad, which seems like very wordy and repetitive. And this is something you should always, if you're learning time, you should always be bothered. Why does something sound wordy and repetitive? Okay. So the idea, the idea is going to be like this. We spoke before about mothers. What is a, when something is a mother of something else, what do mothers do? Give rise and nourish. Give rise and nourish, right? In human beings, right, that's called pregnancy birth and then nursing. It's on a physical level. Got it? Good. Um... Are mothers the only ones involved? No. no, right? Generally speaking, right, there's a father involved. Okay. Now, it says here that they're called mothers because the the midas are the offspring of the Chabad, which is the Seichel. Okay? And the word here that's used for offspring is toldes. Toldes there are many words that can use for offspring or progeny. The word toldos, does anyone know the word toldos? What's the root of that word, what it comes from? Like yeah, which means? Like birth. Birth. birth, right. It has to do with birth. Okay. So the idea here is that the mother gives birth to the child, but the mother is not solely responsible for the fact that there's a child. There's a father there, right? The entire process leading up to the birthing of the child, that's the mother's doing, but there is some involvement of the father before that. And if there's no involvement of the father, does that process that the mother does of eventually giving birth to the child ever happen? No. No. Which means now, if the seichel is the mother, what's missing from the picture? Yeah? So now, later on, we're going to redefine the terms mother and father differently or more specifically. But for now, so don't get confused. The way we're going to define them now is going to be the way we're going to talk about them later. So someone asked the question, I believe, yesterday, which is how, if the seichel is all about seeing things for who they truly are, in which you don't have a special privileged position, how do you then get out of that midos, which is all about me, right? my relationship with God. What, what, who is God to me? How do I feel about God, etc.? If you are a being of pure seichel, you will never have midos. 
ever. In order to have midos, you need you need seichel, or the godless only seichel, but need something else. Which means the other thing that you need is you need a, a starting point, and that starting point is that you care about something. In fact, all midos. What is the starting point of all midos? I mean, no, God is, like, creates things, but like if you me, okay. Now, but okay. Well, in in the case of the godly soul, it's connecting to God. But every midah at its root is that there's some there's some caring about something, that you, something matters to you, something's important to you, something is of value to you. If you don't have that as a starting point, will you ever have midos? No. Remember, we had a class about God's will. Yeah. Okay. So for those of you who see the connection, great. And if you don't, I'm not going to get into it. So if the godly soul doesn't start off caring about connecting to God, will it ever have midos? Let's use a human example. If you don't care um, about anything, will anything be attractive to you? Will anything be repulsive to you? Will anything be important enough to push through and get stuff done? No. So what is the starting point of any particular midah? a particular feeling towards something is the very fact that the thing means something to you, matters to you on some basic level. Okay? And the more you are aware of that, that will shape and change how you relate to it. But you have to start out with, a, with basically, if you want to use this word, we'll use this word, you have to start out with a bias. So let's use it a simple example. Okay? Um, if you're a regular human being and you have a child, your child is important to you, right? As a result of the child being, being important to you, you take what you see about the child in a different light than other people do, right? Mm-hmm. So for instance, when your child messes up and they're your child, how do you feel about that? What? Okay, so sometimes that causes you to be more intolerant of their mistakes, why? Because you care about them, and if you want them to succeed, and if they slack off, right? On the other hand, that that fact that you care about them can also create a totally different emotion to their shortcomings, which is that you're more forgiving, right? So the same fact that your child matters to you can cause different emotions depending on you know what perspective you put that through. But you have to start out with the fact they matter to you, right? If some random person that means nothing to you doesn't succeed in something, like okay, so, so what? I don't. I'm not forgiving. I'm not. Intolerant, it doesn't bother me, it doesn't like, it's just, it's irrelevant. I'm indifferent. Okay? In other words, the ultimate real root and source of Amida is not a seichel. The real root and source of Amida is the fact that you care, that something matters to you. So now I'm going to do one of my favorite activities, which is destroy pithy sayings that people say. If you care about something, might that motivate you to use your seichel to have a better appreciation of it and awareness of it? No. No. Never happens. Think about it. Why should you care about something? Why should you care about something? Because... Because it has something worth caring about, right? So what are you taking for granted before you even talk about it is the fact that you have some sort of standard of what counts as a careable thing. 
that's independent, that's your own. You have some val- some standard of what counts as worth caring about, and then your seichel might discover that in something. But if you don't have your own sense of what's worth caring about, right, then it, it, it's not going to work. Right. Yeah. I'm hesitant to use the word balance, but where then do we find the balance of a perfectly whole seichel and not wanting that because then we wouldn't have any need of? So that's exactly the point. In Tanya, we are not interested in seichel per se. We're interested in seichel as the mother of Midos. And in fact, in Tanya, we are not going to be using our seichel. Tanya is about using your seichel to get to Midos which means you are going to put artificial limits on your seichel. You're going to, the seichel is fitting into a specific context. I want to develop a relationship with God. I want to feel more love for Hashem. I want to feel more awe of Hashem. I want to feel that Hashem is more wondrous. And therefore, I'm going to use my seichel in such a way to create those experiences. And then stop using it. And then stop using it. That's right. We're using the seichel as a tool. Like your eyes, right? You should use your eyes in the same way. Should you go around looking at everything that exists? Is that appropriate? No. That's an invasion of people's privacy, right? You should figure out what's worth and appropriate to look at and then look at those things. The idea of using your seichel to know God as an end in and of itself is also an idea of chassidus, but that's not what Tanya is focused on. Tanya's focused on how to use the seichel to get the meters. Okay, has anyone heard the, um, the statement that the opposite of love is not hate, it's apathy or indifference? Yes. yes. Okay, so do you know the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya that's not true? He says the opposite of love is hate. Yeah. My pastime of like, destroying pithy statements. Okay, so first off, before we destroy the statement... Um, or at least dismantle it slightly. Let's first understand why do people say it? What's the, what's the supposed wisdom in that statement? Okay. Okay. Good. So I'm gonna. I, I might have told you this personal story. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell, share a personal story. Which I might have shor- shared with you earlier. When I was approximately seven, although I don't remember if it was seven or eight, I doubt it was nine. I think nine was too old already. That one of the things that bothered me was this idea that the opposite of up is down. This gave me no peace of mind. What what bothered you when you were seven? Because after all, up is just up and down are literally the same thing. It's movement. It's movement along the hor- it's movement along the vertical, right? It's literally the same thing, right? If up is moving, then the opposite of up, I guess maybe is like not moving. Stagnation. Stagnation. Anyway, eventually resolve this deep problem which is that we use the term opposite in two different ways, and that's confusing. 
and we use it in more, but we're going to focus just on two. One is that we mean that something in its absence, like the opposite of light, is dark. And so what does that mean? When there's an absence of light or a lack of light based on a certain standard of what you consider to be useful illumination, then you call it dark. But in that sense, is there really such a thing as darkness? No. No, no it's just there's not light. But then we mean opposites in the sense of the same thing but inverted. So up is the opposite of down because if you invert the motion of up, you get the motion down. If you, let's use some examples, if you invert um, making money, you get losing money. money. Yeah. If you invert wanting to be close, you get wanting to be far. Now, what if you want to be far away from somebody? How do you feel towards them? Some kind of feelings that would be into the grouping of hate, disgust, repulsion, something like that, right? So in that sense, what is the, in, what if, what is the same thing but inverted? Love and hate are the same thing but inverted, right? Which is why um, it's so easy to move between them, because... Oh, oh but here's the thing. If we want to say that the meaning of the statement of the opposite of love is apathy then the opposite of hate is apathy. The opposite of compassion is apathy. The opposite of cruelty is apathy because, because the opposite of any, any feeling towards anything at all, the absence of that is apathy. I mean, that's what the word means, apathy. You are not feeling anything towards anything, right? The opposite of feeling is apathy. But in that sense, you're saying the absence of feeling is apathy, but then, that's the, then all of the great wisdom of the thing like, disappears because like, that's patently obvious to all of us, right? If you don't feel something towards anything, then you don't feel anything towards anything. That's, that's clear. Realizing that if you hate something, you've got more of a path towards loving it than if you just don't feel about it at all. Oh, oh. So this is an example of where the of where there is I, uh, there is a good idea, but the wording is the wording is very misleading, right? And this is this is the point that I'm getting at. When you care, what have you now made possible? Emotions. All emotions. And if you love. Whatever makes it possible for you to love has just as easily made it possible for you to. And what makes it possible for you to derive joy makes it possible for you to outputs to pain. Okay? Or sad. Save the word for mental illness for mental illness. It's a separate issue. Okay? Um, If you, whatever makes you able to empathize also makes you able to be critical. Cruel. Let's talk about cruelty. What is cruelty? This helps get at the point. What's cruelty? Hurt. In order to want to make someone hurt, you really have to take their mind very seriously. Right? Well, so the very same thing that allows you to take someone's mind sim- seriously to show compassion and, and feel for them is also the very same, abil- very same underlying thing that allows you to take their mind seriously in the negative. Right? So the way we were thinking was like this. That thing which is neither love nor hate, it is neither compassion nor cruelty, it's neither joy nor sorrow, it's the very fact that there's even an, an, an emotional thing possible, we need a word for that. The word we're going to use in my class, because I just want to use a word we're going to use that you care. Or something matters to you. 
right? If once you care, now the question is, in what way does that end up being manifest? Does that mean you care about something and as such you want to be closer to it? You care about something you want to be further away from it? You care about something you want it to grow? You care about something you want it to die? But if you don't care, then what? What's going to happen if you don't care? Yeah, it doesn't matter. So, so if you just have, this is the way reality is, Seichel, but you don't care, will you ever have Midos? So what gives rise to Midos on a very basic level? The fact that you care, plus this is the way the reality is. You put those together, and then you will... That's right. Can't your Seichel come to the understanding that you ought to care about something? On light of the fact that you care about something else already. So if we're talking about the godly soul, what does the godly soul care about? Right. It cares about Hashem. Or we can say connection to Hashem. I'm not going to get into the difference between those two. We'll group them together for right now. And if you care about Hashem slash connection with Hashem, and then you perceive immaterial reality for what it really is. Now, immaterial reality for what it really is obviously involves an awareness of because Hashem is real. He's not material. So if you care about Hashem and you are aware of Hashem, depending on exactly how you're aware of Hashem, those two things together will give rise to Midos. Now, now it gets very nuanced, right? Because you could be aware of different things that will give rise to different Midos. Like, what are you aware of Hashem will determine what exactly you feel towards Him. Is it love? Is it fear? Is it glorification? Blah, 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 blah. So what he's alluding to here is that the Chabad is playing the role of generating the Midah like a mother does, but there is an other line, there is, a, there is a behind the scenes input which is not so apparent, which is the fact that fundamentally the godly soul cares about God slash connection with God. And without that, no Midas would have arisen at all. So one second. So it's only a source in the sense that it makes them manifest, makes them real, it's not the thing that actually makes them, gives, the, gives rise to them in, the, in their entirety. Seichel per se doesn't give rise to me this because you need the me, and the me is found in what I really care about. Yeah? Yes, this kind of care has to be fundamental. Now, because because any time because, because because you have to go all the way back to you know if you care about this because you care about that well then why do you care about that okay so the godly soul fundamentally in its essence at its core cares about Hashem or connection to Hashem and it has the ability to perceive reality for what it really is so that then perceives Hashem in an accurate manner and the result of that is then it feels a desire to be closer an awareness of its own smallness relative to Hashem etc 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 yeah. Care has to be part of the essence. The, right, because essence means it's part of itself. It's not, it's not something that has to be achieved. But it's separate from the seichel. It's separate from the seichel. Seichel is a tool. It's a method of functioning, right? So notice the caring was not part of our three levels. When there was no, which is the faculty of caring? Wait, why didn't he mention this? Because, that, because these three, ten faculties are the faculties of the nefesh, ruach, neshama, the stages of development, but caring is mm. fundamental to its being. Mm. So some people have asked me, what about those levels that you read about in other memoirs called chai yichida? Mm. Those are the levels of essential caring. I'm not getting the difference between the two, but we want to speak about the fact that the godly soul cares about God just as, a, as just a matter of fact, fundamentally. That's not these stages of development. That's just, in essence, that's inherent. 
And, and then the, those levels are called chai or yichi, the, the difference between them we're not going to talk about. They're not birthed. That's the point. They're inherent. If you have a godly soul, then it cares about God. The fact that a godly soul inherently call, cares about God is called, in Kabbalistic language, called chai yichida. It, it, it is like a father, only in the sense that a father's influence on the gestation and birth of a baby is not obviously apparent. And so when you look at the process of using Seichel to produce Midas, the fact that under, what underlies all that is that the godly soul just fundamentally cares about Hashem, that's not obviously apparent. But if it wasn't true, the whole process wouldn't happen. Yeah? So we don't... Seichel isn't... A Midas-making machine. Seichel doesn't make the Midas, but do we still need even a little bit for the Midas to exist? You need a lot of it for it to exist. Think about if you have no mother, do you have any children? Like, what's the threshold between 0 and 100? Because we don't want either, clearly. So, instead of thinking of it in terms of numbers, what we want to say is like this. Um, we want Seichel not because we care about Seichel. We want its capacity to produce Midos. Which is different. Which is, its, which is different than its, right. So, we want to take Seichel and kind of divide it into two. We wanted to use the physical analogy of a woman. Um, I apologize for being blunt, but we can say there's the fact that you're a human being with an inner life, and there's the fact that you can be used for breeding. Those are not, I mean, they're both true, but like which one are you, is a person interested in, right? Which part of the seichel is Tanya interested in? What, the inner life of seichel itself? Or the fact that... But is seichel doing something else? Yes, seichel is used very differently when you, when you go back to the analogy of a human being, right? If you view a human being as a human being, right, is very different than if you, you the view of human being as some as an, as like livestock to breed. It's very different. The way you use seichel to produce midos means that you're not really engaging the seichel in its true sense. So in that so instead of thinking it's it's fifty percent seichel, twenty percent seichel, you have to think of it like this: on the level of what seichel truly is, it's zero, and on the level of its capacity to give rise to midos, it has to be hundred percent. You have to realize there's two aspects to seichel. In Chassidus, this will be called Seichel itself versus the external aspect of Seichel. External means that the way it influences and involves other things rather than its own inner life. Yeah. Essential caring. Right. It matters to me. Okay. Just it fundamentally matters to me. Right, without any coloring to what that looks like. And if it's essential, it means you, can't, you cannot not care. Okay. Yeah? In the actual text, it doesn't quite say anything about the parent, right? That's correct. It just makes it seem like the leaders come from Because he... Because, so, so there's two issues. In the text, why does he say the, the, the offspring? And the wording views for offspring is the one associated with birth is to allude to that the fact that this is not the whole story, there's more to it. But the reason he doesn't get into it is because remember that Tanya is meant to be a guide for not for the practice of this. And so the stuff that's going under the hood that you don't have any direct access or control over, in Tanya he never directly addresses. Like if you look for these levels, Chai, Yechid, and Tanya, you'll never find them. So it's like, there's a difference between like a user's manual, manual to something and like the actual schematics of how to build it. Tanya is the user's manual to a Jew. 
So if you want to know like why is it that using your seichel can produce midos, there's more than the seichel involved. But since that other part is not something that you ever control or ever change, it's just inherent, it's just built in, there's no reason to talk about it. But he, but he doesn't want to mislead you into thinking that it's just, because that does, it also doesn't make, you can't use something that doesn't make any sense. Like if seichel is all about the, the, the reality as is and it's fundamentally impersonal, how does it give rise to midos which are fundamentally about me and my personal relationship? And the answer is it's not seichel is creating midos. It's seichel is the, the thing you're using to create midos, but because there's something else underneath that. There's something else providing this um, unconscious influence. And so as the Alter will often do in Tanya, he alludes to whole ideas by adding a word or a phrase rather than spelling it out. And then he explains that at great length in other discourses. Well, th- that's what. Be, th- there's, if you're using the analogy of mother, you don't need to say that. It's like obvious. So why are you? You're saying I mean it specifically in the sense of, of, of giving birth to, not as like the 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 ultimate source of. A mother is not the ultimate source of a child because a mother on her own doesn't have a child. It's only a mother in conjunction with a father. Right. So it's the mother's involvement is giving rise to the child in a real, tangible way, like we spoke about earlier in chapter two. But there has to be this other influence present. <coughs> but again, it's not something I have to overtly explain because it's not like a guide. You don't need to know how that works. But I also don't want to misinform you and tell you something that doesn't make any sense, which is that seichel can just produce something totally antithetical to itself. That doesn't make much sense either. So he's alluding to that. A mother does create a child, but not purely of her own making under the influence of the father as well. Yeah? Um, what's the point of saying the source of the Source is anything. Um, why is it saying double mother and source? Mm-hmm. And the core also means uterus. Right, right, right. Right. Um, right. Like, when I said you could divide a woman into two, I was not being like metaphoric like that's actually how in like yeah like in halacha when, the, the, when all those issues are described that's how it's described um why does he use both wording both wording my sense is that he's my sense is that there's two different aspects here but i'm not 100 percent sure that that's correct so i'm not sure there's something I saw in, in another discourse which makes me think that, but I never saw anyone say explicitly about Tanya, and so because of that, I don't like to make up my own stuff. Okay. I will not be able to tell you every time where there's a nuance in the wording. The ones that I know, I know there's... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yes? Yes. That's called the that's called the supernal will of God. Yeah. Well, it depends. Are you talking about your godly soul's care or your animal soul's care? There we go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. By the way, uh, the, the, the way you tell if it's made in China, the, a, super, uh, 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 the, a supernal care is limitless, which means how much, basically like this. The more you care, the more vulnerable to all the negative experiences, right? Like pain and stuff. Okay. Like if, if you're apathetic about something, you're indifferent. Like it can't cause you pain. Okay, the more you, so the more you care, the more you could suffer. At what point is the suffering so great that you stop caring? There is a point, right? 
Okay. If it's a, if it's a, if it, if it's if it's a real caring, there doesn't have that limit. So real caring, a true caring, like God's caring, has no point at which the suffering is so great he stops caring. And if the godly soul also has true caring, at what point does the godly soul? This is too trying to connect to God in a world full of evil is too painful. I'm just going to stop caring about my relationship with God. Never. On the point of human beings, no matter what they care about, there is always a point at which the suffering is too great that a person will just shut down and stop caring. So that contingent element in human caring is what makes it the plastic made in China version. And the fact that it cannot be broken is what's godly and divine about God's caring and the godly soul's caring. Okay, hopefully no one ever gets to that point because it's very like disturbing, but like that's, yeah. All right, fine. So what we need to do now is what do we need to explain? Yes, you have a question. Can I ask like a more question? You can. Um, when you're, so when you say things like the Reb, Alter Rebbe didn't want to go into it, or he's referring to a concept of the word, when you're going into it, is that just because you, this is the kind of thing you enjoy talking about and that's why you wanted to teach a class about it? Or is it because you actually think that like, regardless of who's teaching and who's learning, these are essential things to go into to get to the time um, so I, I, I enjoy things because if you don't enjoy what you're teaching, I don't think you can effectively teach. But enjoying is not a good reason to teach it. It depends on who I'm teaching and the format I'm teaching. In the context of this class, um, the goal of learning Tanya is, um, I guess, to have a more deeper and rigorous understanding of things. I think you're all reasonably intelligent and can read English, which means if all you wanted to do was to get a basic overview of what each chapter of Tanya says, you could take the lessons in Tanya, or the Steinzolz Tanya, or the practical Tanya, and you can just read it, right? The goal here is to, although we're not working in the Hebrew text, is to engage in a rigorous kind of learning. If you want to think of learning, it involves not just being exposed to information, but really processing that. And so I'm trying to do that. And because, as, you know, your questions are, are, tend to be thought out, and, well, how does this fit and how does this make sense? So that's, you know, I want to give that kind of a, a, a depth and a rigor rather than things being just, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Surface level? Surface level, intuitive, pop psychology kind of things. Okay, so when you say that the Alter didn't want to go into it, but he meant for it Oh, no, 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 what I mean, say the Alter doesn't want to go into something is remember that the Alter wrote Tanya, said this again, he didn't write Tanya as a book to work on its own. So he, he, he put multiple layers of meaning in it. So depending on, so the stuff that needs to be outright explained, like you can't go forward unless I tell you this idea, right? Mm -hmm. But then there are other things which like, definitely it's helpful to understand this. It puts things in context and makes it more workable. But you know, if you're learning it on a superficial level, I don't have to get into that. But he meant for it to be. He, right, in other words, it's not like he wants this to be hidden information. Right. That, it that depends on the level of rigor in which, in other words, I'm teaching you as if you're, intelligent adult women who are interested in learning Tanya is intelligent adult women, not who are interested in getting something that like, makes you feel good and inspiring and then move on in life. Okay? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's that. Okay? Um, no, I've, I've taught Tanya differently. I mean, the, the, um, some of the shluchas were in my Tanya class in Shine and Shine last year. It's a very different kind of Tanya class with a different goal, different focus. Uh, we did not go into these kinds of things, did we? And that was trying. I teach Tanya to 18-year-olds in the men's program. It's a very different Tanya class. We fly through a chapter in the text in an hour, <laughs> right? So you can right because basically they just want to get like what's the main point and like let's talk about the main point. Um, 
So it depends on what, you know, what's the overall structure, what you're trying to accomplish. I've, I've taught many different kinds of classes. I can't teach what I don't enjoy teaching, that's true. No, I don't, uh, none of my men's classes are available because I don't censor myself when I teach men. <laughs> yes, this is the censored version of me. Okay, ubir ha'inyan. What? Ubir ha'inyan. Okay. Do you guys want to turn the page today? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Yes, yes. So, what needs to be explained? Because he says the explanation of the matter. What is the exp- like, what needs to be explained here? Wait, did you finish how what you the were birth. saying? Yeah. How does that happen? Like, you just, it's like, you say, well, it, you know, if you do this, then that happens. Well, that's great, but how do I actually do that? Like, what am I actually supposed to do? He says that you seichel gives rise to midos, right? Well, now do you know how to give rise to midos? Do you know how to do that? You just push the seichel button and then it works. You might want a little like more of how to use your seichel to produce midos and like how do you know if it's working correctly or incorrectly? Like, have you ever like tried to fix something or use it and you're not really sure how it works properly and so you're not sure if you're making it better or making it worse? Okay, so we need explanation. Today's matter is as follows. Okay. Well, love means you care about something. Hate means you care about something. So they're not the same, but they're the inverse. Love means I want to be closer to something. Hate means I want to be as far away from it as possible. So what underlies both of them? That you care about something. If you don't care about anything, you don't hate anything. You don't care about anything, you don't love anything. Like, I care about, I care about my children, which is why I love my children, and I hate one of their teachers. Okay, I don't hate him in the entirety of his being. I just hate his being a teacher. I'm mature, right? Like, he's actually a decent guy. He's just what? At least in my mind. Bad teacher. Bad teacher. And therefore, as a teacher, I hate him. And if I had a magic wand, what would I do? Make him, not teacher. Make him not my child's teacher. Do I have such a magic wand? No. No. What? There isn't another class. So the best I can do is kind of try and persuade him ever so politely to um, shift what he does and try and get the principal <laughs> to do things differently so that my child does not suffer a totally wasted and horrible year. But that's a result of me caring, right? <laughs> anyway. What? Well, it's kind of apparently a normal thing. Okay. Fine. So we're going to play a game now. Okay, we're gonna play a game. Oh, now, so I want to first tell you why we're gonna play the game. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever heard this. Okay. Chachma is the flash of insight. Bina is breaking it up into details, and Das is um, applying it. That's usually how they put it. Raise your hand if you've heard that. In other words. In other words. Okay. Now, the Alter Rebbe says almost none of that. He has a chapter, chapter 3, where he explains Chachma, explains Bina, explains Das, how they work, how to make sure you're using them effectively to produce genuine, godly midos. And he does not say that. It's not that those ideas are completely wrong or made up, but um, let me ask you a question. If I tell you that one of the things you need to do in developing love of Hashem is use Chachma, Right, that's part of the seichel, whatever chachma is, the technical term. 
and Chacham is a flash of insight. So what am I telling you to do? Wait for a flash of insight. Was well, that an effective strategy? Nope, no. <laughs> like, I want to do the mitzvah of developing love of Hashem and awe of Hashem and fear of Hashem, and so now I'm going to use my Chacham. Okay. And go. It's not happening. I just can't, can't get the process started, right? That's a, like, like, it's not like, if we think of this as not like something that's just supposed to be nice per se in a class, but something you're actually able to implement in your life, saying Chachma is a flash of insight is not in any way useful. In other contexts, it happens to be a true description of some aspect of Chachma, and it is described that way regarding certain issues. But as a guide to how to use your Seichel to produce your Nidos, that's not a helpful description. So what we're going to do is like this. We are going to use our Chachma, our Bina, and our Das. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, we're going to use our Chachma, Bina, and our Das. However, we're going to use the Chachma, Bina, and Das of our animal soul. So it's not, you know, it's a more plastic than China version. But the experiential quality of it is similar enough that'll give us a good point of reference for then learning the rest of the chapter. Okay, so I will not tell you what Chachm is, I will not tell you what Bina is, I will not tell you what Das is. You're going to play a game, and you're in the game, you are hopefully going to use your Chachma. Not your Godly Soul's Chachma, but your mm-hmm. Animal Soul's Chachma. Your Bina. Which Bina? Mm-hmm. And your mm-hmm. Animal Soul Das. If you do this effectively, you can win. If you don't use your Chachma and Bina Das effectively, you will most definitely lose. Is it against you? No, it's you against each other. Okay, but everyone needs a partner. The partner is the person sitting next to you. Okay? Does anyone not have a partner? You don't have a partner? Is there Who doesn't have... What? Okay, now, the rules are, number one, you need a paper. Very good memory. You didn't win last time. What? No, it's like knowing how to play doesn't yeah. make you any better at it. I guess, yeah, it doesn't. No. No, it really doesn't. I mean, I guess you know what not to do, but it still doesn't make it any better. Okay, I... Everyone needs, yeah, you, I mean, everyone's going to need their own piece of paper and their own pen. Every pair or every person? Every person. Do not start until I tell you to start. I'm going to give all the instructions. Okay. Now, because you are more mature adult people, I'm upping the stakes. Okay. All right. What? No, no, no. This, the, 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 that's not right. Okay. So the rule is like this. You have to write down a noun. On, do not start until I tell you. You have to write down a noun on your piece of paper. A noun is a person, a place, a thing, or an idea. Yes, freedom is a noun. Okay. Um, I recommend... The more generic, the easier time you'll have, so that the shluchos who played it last year are not, don't have an advantage. The more generic the noun, the easier time you'll have. Um, you know, don't pick like my mother's chicken soup. 
you know, it probably is going to make things harder for you, um, is a general rule. But pick a noun, generic noun. Okay? Do not show your partner what you're picking. Don't start yet. You must not let your partner know. You must write down your noun and keep it hidden. Okay? Got it? Okay. Everyone do that, and then I'll give you the rest of the rules. has it? Okay. Now, what's going to happen, when I say start, you will get an amount of time, which is unspecified. So you don't know how much time you have. I'm getting my little... Where's my stopwatch? Does one have a stopwatch? Okay. Well, I'll figure out how to get, keep track of the time. No, I'll figure it out. Um, you will have an unspecified amount of time. During that time, you and your partner together must come up with 50 things, five zero, that your um, two nouns have in common. These 50 things must be distinct. I'm trusting you okay, um, to come up with things that are distinct. Okay? But you come up, you know, come up with 50 things that they have in common. Distinct. Like you can't say it's red and it's adom. <laughs> that doesn't count. That counts as one, okay? Yeah. Use your common sense. How do you really cement things in terms of each other? Eat 50 different things that they have in common. Okay? What? No, I'll use this. That's fine. I'll figure it out. Um, and if you get to 50, and it's not the end of the time, and you're not confident that someone else. Uh, and, and you're not confident that you're the only one who's got 50 and you want to make sure you win, you can always add more. But the standard you want to hit is 50. Wait, and so we can't know what the other person's thing is? No. When I say start, you can know what the other person's thing is because there's no oh. way to figure this out, right? Oh, okay. You can't coordinate, right. I was, so when I say start, you will share it with the partner and you'll have a limited amount of time. Limited amount of... You need to sit next to your partner, by the way. It's not going to work if you're far away from your partner. You need to sh share with your partner what you both picked. Only one needs to write down everything. Um, sometimes people find it helpful that both people write things down because you can write faster that way. But your list needs to be written. Something you didn't write down doesn't count on your list. So you can have, if you have 25 things and she has 25 things, that counts, and they're different, that counts a list of 50. And you can, yes, you can collaborate with each other and talk to them. When I say start, you show, and you start figuring out. If you have the same one, you are at a disadvantage because you now need to restart again. You need to then pick new things, and then you lose time. So hope you don't have the same thing. And we are going to... Well, this is your time. Okay. <laughs> okay. And start. Here's the
Anything that what? You're, it's a noun. Anything they have in common. Anything. Anything.
Okay, so please count. Okay, is anyone still counting? Like 50 is not enough, I want a specific number. Okay. No way. If you have more than 50, stand up. You have more than 50? Anyone else have more than 50? Wow. All right. I think we should give them a round of applause. Okay. What were your two words? Tree and grass. Tree and grass. Okay. All right. Who are our runner-ups? Who had, who had 41? 
48. Okay, what was the year 48? Home and book. Home and book. Okay. Now, you had about 10 seconds for each um, thing they have in common. Like, if you wanted to get 50, you had to do about one every 10 seconds. Okay. Now, let's think about how you can actually succeed at this exercise. Now, granted, having tree and grass, that makes it easier. <laughs> but I would like to point out that home and book, right, got pretty close. <coughs> so, first off, I'm just going to mention, we're going to do this. I'm not going to tell you anything about Chacham Abin and Dasim. We're just going to take some, some observations. If you don't believe that there are 50 things in common, can you do this exercise? No. 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 So that's a prerequisite. You have to believe that it's actually true. Now, the interesting thing is, do you know what the 50 things are before you start? No. So you believe that something is the case, and yet you have no idea what it is. That's an interesting mental faculty, right? To be certain about the thing you have no idea about, you have no knowledge of. Okay. Um, now, does this require you to think of your two things in different ways? Yeah, let's just take for instance. Raise your hand if you use the fact that they're both nouns on your list. <laughs> right, that should be the first one. Like, whatever the thing they with, they're both nouns. But that requires, instead of thinking of them as just the physical objects or ideas, of thinking of them as they are in linguistics. What? What? Right. You could even talk about the spelling, right? Like, so there's, in other words, there's so many different ways you need to think about the thing that you're not used to thinking about those things. Especially if it's not something as, com as similar as grass and tree. Okay? So you need, so in addition to meaning to be certain about stuff you have no idea about, you also need to be willing to look at things in a way that is unusual, not the way you're used to. Right? Okay? Um, you need to be able to realize that these are not just one thing, but they are in fact many things. They have many different aspects, components, different, different um, right? You have, to start, you have to start breaking down and finding how difference and similarity interplay back and forth with each other. So, yeah, just... No, because it'll take too much time. But everyone can do it after class. Um, so, for instance, um, what was it? You said home and book? Or did you consider the fact that they're one-syllable words? No. Right, because that, requi that which requires you to actually realize that if they're words, words are pronounced, right? And that takes you a whole... You have to really start breaking things down in different categories, right? There's the object in its physical sense, the, the fact that it has a word associated with it. There's the role it plays in economics. It's like a whole different way of thinking about it, right? And each of those have to be viewed in distinct ways. And what you'll often notice is that once you start thinking of one kind of similarity, you'll get a bunch that are in that same, that are, that are in that same kind of area. Like you start thinking about how the, the commonality and how these things are in words. So you know they're both nouns, they're one syllable, they both share these letters. Right. And then you start thinking of a bunch of things. So what do you see? That you're breaking them down into like subcategories, right? Okay. You're also having to realize that there's two levels to the thing. There's the thing itself, which is distinct, right? A book is distinctly a book and not a house, and a house is distinctly, or a home is distinctly a home and not a book. And yet, 
there's this other layer in which they're not unique things, they're just a collection of properties that are relatively arbitrary that other things could share, right? So that kind of requires a kind of mental flexibility too, doesn't it? Okay, yeah. That knowledge coming back to it, is that like the same as the knowledge that like when you meet a person, you are very confident that they have a mother and father even though you know nothing about either of those people? No, I don't know about you. Yeah, what about you? <laughs> <laughs> that was never, it was never a question whether I have a mother, guys. Okay. So, so one of these things is that you also need to be able to have a lot of background information that was in your unconscious mind that you're not even, that you're drawing on, right? Yeah. 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 That so, you're, I mean, is that different than the, the thing of like, like being confident that there are two things in common about them that they are? It's slightly different. Exactly. Yeah, because like, I mean, there are people, and one of the things you'll see is that when you do this with younger audiences, you get a number of percentage of people saying that's impossible. Mm. Which usually indicates that there's something going, there, there's some kind of faculty that allows you to do that, which is, whereas I think what you're talking about is just kind of a general observation about people and how the world works, and then you're making an assumption. It's slightly different. Okay. okay. Um, Right, because it's pretty bold of me to just assume that whatever two nouns you pick must have 50 things in common, right? That's a, right, okay. Um, um, you notice that sometimes you're reacting to, to your own success or failure? Like, oh, that was good. Oh, no, that doesn't work. Well, why did we pick this one? Makes it so hard. When you're doing that, what are you not doing? You're not actually doing the exercise. And since you only have 10 seconds to find one thing for a thing in common, right? How much time does it take? Oh, why that was really good. How did it, by that time, how many seconds have gone by? Right, also it disturbs your train of thought, right? You get into these rhythms and then you fall out of them, you get back into them. Okay, so the more of those kinds of interruptions you have, the less likely you're gonna be successful, okay? Also, you notice at a certain point, the novelty of playing a game and the exercise wears off. This is something I didn't do because I have to do, didn't have enough time. But right. the real fun way, and if we had more time, is to do this exercise and give people like you know 200 and then give them a half hour or something without telling them. And then they really have to have staying power because they still have the same rate of about 10 seconds or whatever it is, but then... Right. And at a certain point, the novelty wears off and you just have to really be mentally involved in what you're doing. Right. So there's a series of or range of different mental faculties you have to use in order to succeed at this, right? And if you're using all of them together in conjunction smoothly, it works, right? But what happens if, what happens if one of these faculties is lacking or fizzles out along the way? Like your confidence that you can actually find 50 disappears, right? Your willingness to look at them in a new light, right? Your, 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 your ability to, to dissect and categorize things. Right? Your insistence that, that in, in looking at it only one way, um, your, your, you know, there's also the retention of what you did before, right? It'll be really annoying if you like every, every, tenth, every 20, 30 seconds, you pick the same one again, right? Or you pick something that is really the, sim the same thing in other words that you had to keep rejecting, that would be a bad use of your time. So is it really correct to say that you have like you work in this nice little thing, first you use this faculty and then you use that faculty and then you use that, is that how your mind actually works? Or you have a range of faculties that are working. Now sometimes one is more overt and more dominant, like for instance when you start the exercise, there's much more initially this sense of confidence that you can do it and a willingness to figure out what those are. And that doesn't disappear but it fades more into the background as you're more involved in it. Okay? So 
The idea here is that different mental faculties are not like a nice little chart that you can make, but in fact, things that are all working simultaneously and influencing each other. And when your mind, when, when, when the seichel is not working properly, that's usually because one of those faculties is not pulling its weight. So let's use some examples of, of what could happen. So one thing I already mentioned is where you actually are skeptical that there are 50 things in common. Then you can't do this, right? Okay. Well, what does that mean about your willingness to believe and explore and be confident in what you don't know? Is that part of your seichel or is it not part of your seichel? It is part of your seichel. In fact, that in a certain sense, you can't really get seichel off the ground without that. If you're not willing to be open to what you don't yet know, then how are you going to know anything new? Okay. So have you ever been in a class where a teacher says something which doesn't fit what you already understand? Okay. What is your mind's reaction when you hear things you don't already understand? They're unfamiliar, they contradict what you know. What? So you have now just turned your seichel into some sort of like, you know, deformed, malnourished, crippled. Yeah. Yeah. Why? That's right. In order, in, you're not really, right? Right. Well, I feel like But, but you haven't even heard it yet. That's what I'm saying. You hear something, this, but, but if you really pay attention, your mind is amusing. Wait a minute, a minute, it's getting defensive. That doesn't fit. How could that be true? And you'll see this. I'm not going to point people out, but some say, um, but how does that fit with, and basically what they're reacting to is, some, my mind just got exposed to something that it's not open to. And so instead of like forcing my mind to be open and then process that after I've opened it, I'm instead going shutting my mind, and I might even take steps in, in the social environment, in the class, of ensuring that defensiveness by throwing out some sort of difficulty. Okay, if you want to think of this physically, and we're going to use this analogy, eating is very much like seichel. Because you have to get the food inside of you. Well, how do you get the food in your mouth? You have to first... And if your mouth is not open? The food won't go in, right? So what happens if someone's trying to give you food, and you're like, that's weird, I don't want to eat that. Well, then, right? Okay. right? Now, it could be that once you get the food in your mouth and you start chewing, you're like, this is not good. I now do not have to like be defensive. I have firsthand experience. This is not good. This is foul. <laughs> like, when I ate the leftover chicken soup from Shabbos, I'm like, nope. <laughs> you should not be eating this chicken soup. <laughs> right? But, that's, but in order to actually have that, I need to have first done what? There's, I, I, the, the analogy only goes so far. That's a different discussion. But this is, but but this is the thing. If you really pay attention to your mind, you'll notice. I don't keep picking on you. This is what I can understand. Most of our seichels, like really plastic, we're trying to You see, these things don't work very well. Most people's reaction when they hear a new idea is not say, "Let me listen." Most people's reaction: is, "Wait a minute. How does that fit with this? How does that fit with that? How could that be true? How does that?" Do? So what's happening? You're rejecting, you're being defensive. You're, you're, like, you're, like, you're like the North Korean border with South Korea, right? <laughs> Nobody's getting in unless I want you in. <laughs> right? That's, that's, 
right? And now, you know, sometimes many activities, like, it, it really doesn't matter because, like, we're not... But if you really, like, there's so much stuff that you are completely unaware of that contradicts things that are so fundamental to how you experienced the world up until now. Yeah? If you're not genuinely willing to let them in and then deal with the consequences afterwards, what happens to your seichel? Say, stunted. Okay. Do you know why your one of the reasons why your seichel is, is is stunted is because the human seichel is because if what I, if the idea I'm hearing is threatens my sense of personal well-being, what does my human animal soul seichel do? Shuts the door, has a gag reflex, won't let anything in. Well, what if the truth is actually undermines my sense of well-being? Then what happens? Where does it stay? It stays outside. Right? To have real seichel means that you're willing to let stuff in because you have the sense that whatever you let in, the truth will stay and, and what's not true will be expelled. In other words, you have to have this kind of confidence both in the truth of the things and the truth of yourself to allow stuff in and not to be too worried. Right? There's a faith in that reality is really has, a, has a, something intelligible about it that I could actually figure out and I can actually figure it out and therefore I'm willing to hear this new idea and if it ends up being garbage I'll figure out that it's garbage I'm not worried okay now you can see that most people don't their seichel doesn't function like that right okay yeah so if you can figure out that it's garbage then why is there an idea to like shelter yourself because mm-hmm. you're not good at using your godly seichel and so what ends up happening is that you just, when you, when most people make the pretense of being, yes, I'm very open, I let every idea in, and I let, what really they're saying is I let the ideas and they make me feel good, and I keep out the ideas that don't make me feel good, and when you accuse me of being biased, I just claim to be open-minded. That's usually what's happening, is the Ram says most of us are just really bad at using our seichel. Now, I'm not, the Tanya, by the way, is not encouraging you to just go a full-out use of your seichel. It's saying you have seichel and you can use your godly seichel for the purposes of trying to develop emotions with regard to Hashem. But if you want to use your seichel just unrestricted on its own terms, you better have a pretty strong sense that you're not going to let other things hijack it. And I don't know if you really want to do the, take that claim about yourself. Okay. So, now, by the way, is the, un, is the thing that's unfamiliar and unknown is that always, like, if you're just open-minded and listen for a few more minutes and it becomes obviously clear mm-hmm. what it's talking about? Is it possible that an, an idea requires years for it finally to, like, oh, that's what they meant? So, how long do you have to keep your mouth open? A long time. Because it's a very long time. How do you talk or breathe? Well, that does create a problem, though, doesn't it? One second, yeah. Is there a point of no return, like an age by which if you haven't opened your mouth to the sample, you can never open it? No, but it's harder the older you start. Okay. So let's just give one other example to this. Okay, Why is it that some people do have flashes of insight? They're a fine vessel. Their mouths are open. Their mouths are open. And how long do they stay open? 
a long time. Like, there is some way of making sense of this thing that I don't understand at all. And my mind is open to it. My mind is focused on it. My mind is desires it. My mind is willing to allow whatever will make the sense of this to come into it. And that's the thought that is the last thought I think before I go to sleep and the first thought I think when I wake up and it's on my mind whenever I'm not having to like, you know, do groceries. And what happens to such a person at some point? Oh, that's, maybe we, maybe that one, well, let's, let's explore that. Until one of them actually really does, you know, solve the problem, right? On the other hand, if like, okay, you have two minutes to, um, to make, to give me this new idea and make it fit with everything I know, otherwise I'm moving on, then what happens? Not gonna work, yeah? What about people who say, okay, um, so is it a yes or a no? There was one time in CNN they had, on, they had this news thing um, called, is, this, is that good news or bad news? How's that for having a good, accurate conception of reality? <laughs> so, so is this good or bad? Yeah. You know those questions? Is Judaism in favor of? What are you like setting yourself up for? Actually perceiving the reality the way it is? No. Because no. it never is like that. Are things nicely fit into two binaries of yes and no? Rarely. Yeah? What? Well, so even that is quite complicated. Okay. Because even though gender in its ideal has two in practice, right? There's, there's, a, there's, a, there, there are a total of six different gender classifications under the two ideal. Did you know that? Yeah. There's something called an androgynous, which is somebody who, who has um, reproductive organs of both genders, and therefore there's a question in halacha whether such a person is a male or a female, or a, or, a doubt of, or, 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 or a doubt of both, or should be considered a third category altogether. There's a whole discussion debate about that. There's someone called a tumtum, which lacks any obvious genitalia at all. That's another category, which is presumed to be that they really do have genitalia, they're just not apparent. They have different rules. Then there are people who do not, who are clearly male or female, but don't go through proper puberty, according to certain logic standards, and they also have different rules. Because in real physical life, yeah, there are complications. So how do you manage the two conceptual ideals of gender with the complexities of human biology? And halacha apparently does, it's quite complicated. Nothing is that simple, ever. Like, there's a thing, there's a, there's a part of your mind which says it's never that simple. Whatever you understand, it's never, ever, ever that simple. And the minute you convince that it's that simple, then you're not under, you don't have reality for what it is. Okay? Now, how does it feel to walk around life with the sense that, re that reality is never as simple as you understand it. Stressful, humbling. Well, it depends, it depends if, you, if, you, if, you, if you feel, it can be exciting, right? It really depends on what your starting reference is, right? Yeah? Well, I'll tell you one thing. If your goal is that you should, be the, you should have all knowledge in your head because that makes you feel superior to others, what is the realization that it's never as simple as you understand it to be do? Disappoints you and that might and might limit your desire to learn. Has anyone heard of Einstein? I'll end on this. Anyone heard of Einstein? Yeah. So Einstein famously said that God doesn't play dice with the universe, which was a criticism of an idea. 
Basically, what Einstein was saying is like this. People came up with this idea. This idea means that, I, that what, the way I think the world works, it's not that simple. And that bothers me so much, I refuse to accept that this idea can be true, and therefore I will spend the rest of my life showing that this idea is wrong. Guess what it turns out? He was wrong. You can spend your whole life arguing against the truth simply because you don't want to face the fact that it's more complicated than your mind can handle. So there's a lot of faculties going on in the use of seichel. And if they're all working together properly, you can actually build a more and more accurate sense of the way reality actually is. But if you're not using them, what do you end up with? Or using them improperly or sloppily or, or in, a, in, a, in a stunted manner, what do you end up with? Some sort of warped, limited, biased sense of reality. And so when we start going through, these authors are going to give you better, like more concrete definitions of each of the faculties and how they work. And the idea is that if you don't use all of them together properly, whatever you're getting, it's a mumbo jumbo. It's, 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 it's delusions. It's not real. All right. That's exciting. We'll do that tomorrow. Congratulations to our winners. Is this all? We should have everything.